when you step into who you truly are and what you desire, you show up from the fullness of who you are in everything that you do. And that just changes everything, right? It changes life for you and it changes life for everyone in your life. To all who come to this happy podcast, welcome. This is Spiritually Ever After, the place where Disney meets wellness and spirituality. I'm your host, Kitty Pakman, spiritual mentor, licensed therapist, and major Disney person. This is the place where the magic of spirituality, self-awareness, and personal development meets the magic of Disney. You are safe to be your full magical self here. Now let's dive in. Welcome back everyone to Spiritually Ever After. I am your host, Kitty Pacman, and this is the place where we get to dive deep and look at how Disney kind of overlaps with spirituality and wellness. And I'm excited for this episode because today we are diving into a Disney movie and it's a newer Disney movie which I was totally guilty of this for a while, but I think a lot of millennials tend to focus on Disney movies that came out during that Disney renaissance. So like 1989 to 1999. And, you know, for like I said, for a while, I kind of bought into this and said, you know, that was when all the best Disney movies came out. But I really have to say that Disney has stepped up their game the last few years and we have gotten some really, really good movies. And I think that Encanto is absolutely one of them and obviously got a ton of acclaim and we saw what happened with We Don't Talk About Bruno. So I am really excited to dive in today. The theme behind this episode is looking at this idea of embracing your unique gifts and that really being your encanto. So being your wonder, being your sort of like mojo. It's like when you step into who you truly are and what you desire, you show up from the fullness of who you are in everything that you do. And that just changes everything, right? It changes life for you and it changes life for everyone in your life. So you know, it's really this idea that everyone comes to this life with value and that no matter what your magical gifts are, you are just as valuable and worthy as anyone else. And, you know, I look at this and I see that there's almost this idea that the community would be better off if individuals embrace their unique gifts. Um, And then others kind of feel differently, right? Others feel like, it's better off when people prioritize the community over the individuals. And these are actually two philosophical dilemmas that I teach on in my collaboration collective, which is the individual versus the group and freedom of the individual versus freedom of the community. And so I'm not going to go totally into these right now, but just to kind of hold that framework and to be able to hold the both end here that. Yes, you know, I personally am a believer that we each come here with special gifts and that really is what makes us us and that the more that we embrace that, the more that we follow our desires, the better off everyone is. And I also recognize that to some extent we do have to have a loyalty to whether it's to our family, to a relationship, to the community, to a certain group. Um, you know, we're better off when we are part of something bigger than ourselves. So just kind of an invitation there to think about and hold both of those sides. So just to kind of, in case you haven't seen the movie, well, I should say, if you haven't seen the movie, there are going to be some spoilers. So maybe pause this and go watch the movie. But if you've watched but have not watched as many times as I have recently, just to kind of run through a reminder of what all the gifts are, because I think that can be helpful. We have Peppa, Tia Peppa. She controls the weather with her mood. Then we have Julieta, and that is Mirabelle's mom, and she heals through her cooking. 
and we have Bruno, who receives visions. Then we have Cousin Dolores, who has super hearing. We have Camillo, who is a shapeshifter. Then we have Antonio, who is able to speak to animals. And then we have Mirabelle's sisters, Isabella, who can grow flowers and plants, <laughs> as we learn, and Luisa, who has super strength. So Mirabelle and Abuela actually have a lot in common, which is interesting because they kind of get set up as almost like, um, you know, I guess in a way it's almost like they're foils of each other. Um, but they both act as the glue that keeps the family together. And Mirabelle is kind of a reminder that when you're authentically yourself, that that's what the family wants. And we really see this kind of woven throughout the whole movie. Um, and it's almost like, you know, again, that this is just this journey of bringing everyone together with love and with support and encouraging each other to find a better and better way to do things, you know, in love. And I'll say as I rewatch this, and again, I've watched this many times recently, uh, kind of in preparation for this episode, but also just because I love this movie and I can't stop watching it. Um, you know, Abuela has seen some shit, right? Like, you know, especially when we see during um, Dos Oruguitas, like what really happened, it's she's been through some stuff, right? Like she's got some trauma and, you know, trying to kind of play devil's advocate and see why she might act the way that she does. I think she is grateful and she doesn't want to take advantage of the Encanto and she wants to kind of do right by the miracle. And I think that's part of the reason why she's so harsh, especially towards Mirabelle, because, you know, when we see their relationship, we see Mirabelle when she's a little girl. She's obviously very, very close with Abuela. And so the fact that Mirabelle didn't get a gift is like what puts this space between them. You know, but I I really think that as much as Abuela can be really mean and harsh at times, she is she's doing this because she wants to do right by the miracle. And obviously because she's scared. Right. We see that later as well. But I will say she kind of becomes a bitch in the process. And to some extent, it's kind of in, you know, a normalized grandmotherly way, regardless of culture. But I know especially in certain cultures that this is even more true, that like tough grandmotherly love. Um, but I definitely think that watching this movie, if you have some grandmother wounds, whether you had a grandmother who was really harsh and stern or straight up mean or, you know, absent, I think this could um, this could definitely trigger some of that. A theme that I noticed is that at a lot of points throughout the movie, we see people drop to their knees and they're at these pivotal moments and so the first time that we see this is we see Abuela drop to her knees after Pedro is killed. And that's when she gets the miracle, right? And then it cuts to her telling little Mirabelle that you are a wonder, Mirabelle Madrigal. And, you know, I really think here it's that she's the gift, right? That she doesn't get a gift, quote unquote, because her gift is to come and save the family and to show them that embracing who you are is the gift, you don't need some special, you know, external thing to make you special. You were born special. You were born worthy. I think it's really sweet and almost a little sad that we then see Mirabelle, you know, as a teenager. And before she leaves her room, she says, make your family proud, right? She's still committed to what Abuela told her when she was going to get her gift, even though she didn't get a gift. So I think that's really beautiful, but also kind of really sad, right? That that's, she's still trying to live into that. And we see that very much. Um, and then we see her drop the string, which I've seen a bunch of different theories. And I'm curious to hear what other people think and what people know about this. Um, I know I've seen that her dropping that string is, you know, representative that she makes her own clothes and that that's something that if you make your own clothes, you always have strings on you. I've seen a bunch of other meanings. And so I'm curious if you know something that I don't know here, uh, definitely let me know. Message me or comment on one of my posts on Instagram or TikTok. I would love to talk to you about it. So I really see it as almost like in Mirabelle not having a gift or not having a specific gift the way that everyone else does. 
it's like she's able to be the connection to the community and the bridge to the community. And, you know, we then see Abuela having this line of, we swear to always help those around us and earn the miracle that somehow found us. So it's like she's still trying to earn and live up to what she thinks would be worthy of that miracle. So there's definitely some like unworthiness, I think, in Abuela's part. And I think that plays a big role in the way that she kind of treats Mirabel throughout the movie. And then we have the guy giving Mirabel all of the, you know, the stuff to prepare for Antonio's party and says the not special special, which is just so cringe. And I think they did such a good job in the movie of really setting it up so that even little kids like can really pick up on what's going on. And we see these little kids kind of describing what they think would be the emotional experience of Mirabelle in that moment. And then, of course, her defending it and saying, no, no, you know, I'm, I'm special just by being a part of the family. Um, but, you know, there's even the little line where the kid says, I, if I were you, I'd be really sad. And I think there's something really cool in that because I think that's not something we used to see in movies, especially children's movies. And it's just normalizing that feeling sad and feeling unworthy that that's normal, you know, and that also that you can be really sad on the inside and seem fine or normal like Mirabelle on the outside. So then we go in and we see Mirabelle. Well, no one can find Antonio, right? And so we have Mirabelle, who, of course, knows where Antonio is, goes right to him, knows exactly how to get him to come out or for her to go in and to see him. And I think this is a really beautiful scene, too, because we're seeing so much kind of vulnerability and awareness and empathy for a little guy in Antonio. You know, when he says, I wish you could have a door, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so heartbreaking. And of course she made him an animal. I think it's a jaguar, right? Like, of course she knows because, again, her gift is being connected to others. Her gift is knowing what others need. Her gift is being there for her family, being a part of the family. And so it's no surprise that she knew exactly what to give Antonio that would make him feel comfortable, but also that would foreshadow his gift. Something that came through as I was watching this is thinking about how each gift is supposedly for the family or for the community but really is actually hurting each of them in the process. So, for example, right, we have Peppa, who we see throughout the movie, feeling guilty, trying to block the fact that her emotions ruin the weather. And, right, we see, like, Peppa, you have a cloud. And, you know, she says, I know, Mom. Like, she feels, it's almost like she feels shame around the fact that this is her gift and that she can't control herself. And she's just constantly judging herself for not being able to. And we see this too when later on when Bruno is talking about the wedding and how it wasn't, you know, foreshadowing, wasn't a vision. It was that he just knew like you're going to it's an emotional day for you and your emotions control the weather. So obviously it's going to rain. And, you know, that's what um, then Peppa's husband says. That's what I'm always saying, bro. Like. He's been trying to help her embrace it, but again, because she thinks that the community needs her to be able to stop the rain from coming with the weather, it's like putting her at odds by, you know, having this be her gift. Then we have Julieta, right? And she's going around and she's healing everyone, but she can't really hear Mir- Mil- heal Mirabel, and she can't heal the family's problems. She can't make them go away, right? And... She's going around and she's telling Abuela, go easy on Mirabelle. And Abuela says, if it doesn't go well tonight, it'll be hard for all of us. And so there's just a ton of pressure on Julieta. And again, her gift is to be able to heal others. And yet she has all of this pain around her in the people she loves most that she can't heal. So again, it's like just putting her in this self-contradictory position where she's literally doing everything that she can with the gift she was given and it doesn't feel like enough or it doesn't feel like the right thing. Obviously, we understand, if you've seen this, how Bruno's gift hurts him, right? He becomes ostracized or really he ostracized himself and he hid for years because he was shamed for his visions and he was shamed for speaking the truth and trying to help people know what's coming. 
Dolores. So there's an interesting thing I know I've seen online of like Dolores is the villain here. And I think that's so rude. I think poor Dolores has to go however much of her life. First of all, knowing that, the, you know, the love of her life is going to be betrothed to another and she has to hear them, right? She has to hear everything that they're saying. She's hearing Mariano. She's hearing Isabella. She's hearing Abuela say things to Isabella about marrying him. It's rough, right? Her gift is rough for her. And yet everyone else thinks it's so cool that she can hear everything. Then we have Camilo. And he, to me, this is one that I actually really, really kind of relate to, is it's almost like because his gift is being able to shapeshift and to look like others he only sees himself as valuable when he's pretending to be others like if you watch this movie from this lens how much do we really know about Camilo like we really don't know anything he's almost always pretending to be someone else when we see him and we barely know him or see him as himself which is really sad right and then we have Antonio and Antonio is more comfortable talking to animals then he is people because of this pressure, because of the way that Abuela is. And I think something that's worth noting too is that it's not that Abuela is only mean, right? Because if someone is only mean, even if they're in our family, it's like we might want to have a relationship with them. But if they never give us any love, it can be a little easier to push them aside or to say that it doesn't matter. But when we have someone in our life who we really, really love – and who sometimes is really, really good to us, and then all of a sudden can be really mean and harsh, that is way harder to deal with, right? Because it's like we are walking around with our hearts open, hoping it's going to be one of those moments where they're good to us. And instead, you know, we get hurt beyond belief. So no wonder Antonio is more comfortable talking to animals. And then we have Is Isabella, right? Who, as we hear in her song, has had to pretend to be perfect her entire life. She almost marries someone that she knows she doesn't want to be with because all she knows is being perfect. And then we have Louisa who has the same problem, right? But a different, you know, through a different uh, means, if you will, a different channel that she's perfect because she's strong. She can do so much for the family, but that's all she knows and that she literally feels like she has the weight of the world on her shoulders at all times. And in those moments where she feels weak, she's terrified, right? To me, surface pressure is such a beautiful and yet like painful representation of anxiety, right? Because she's basically saying like, I'm carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders and it feels like if I mess up, this whole family is going down because of me. So to me, it's just interesting to see how throughout the movie, we're seeing that each gift is not actually helping them, even if we think it's kind of helpful for the community. I just need to say with, I mean, in general, the music in this movie is absolutely amazing, but I think Columbia Me Encanto is just such a fun song and it just makes me so happy because you can tell that Disney really did the work with this one to like be really culturally competent and to as best as they can in an animated film, accurately depict the kind of Colombian way of life. I thought that's just really cool. And I know I read an article about the research that they did and working with, um, you know, native people from like a small town in Colombia to really, really immerse themselves to make sure that they did this right. So I thought that was really good. And I think we really see that. And I, I love that it's just a song celebrating Colombia. And Colombian culture. I just think that's really cool. Um, this little moment when we see Antonio in his little white suit and he says, I need you is just like, I mean, I don't have kids of my own. I have little brothers, but it's like I see them in him there and I'm like, oh my God, I'll do whatever you need. Like, don't look at me like that. I can't handle it. I'll do whatever you need. Um, and then we, of course, see little Mirabelle, which is also just heartbreaking. But you know, we notice, or if you have it, you know, watch again and you'll see that when we see little Mirabelle going up to her door, you know, because before she goes up to the door, she touches the candle, right? It's like, that's the connection to the miracle. And before she goes to the door, she wipes her hands off. And so there's this hypothesis online that I've seen that 
because she wiped her hands, that's why she doesn't get a door. Um, but I really think that not getting a door was her gift or was kind of like the means to the end of getting her gift. <laughs> um, and I think that something else that kind of hit me while I was watching it from the lens of creating this episode was how cool is it that this community is just on board with magic and doesn't shun the family for being different. They're just like, wow, that's amazing. Like, thank you for what you can do for us. So I just love that as almost kind of like a reminder that that could be possible in our lives too. The more that we all just embrace what we really believe in and what we love and what we practice and not being afraid to speak about it. You know, I think for a long time, a lot of people who grew up in one religious background and now identify more as spiritual are cautious to speak about it because it can be such a touchy subject. And I totally get that. But I really invite you, if that's you, if that's resonating, to just maybe dip your toe into sharing a little bit of however it is that you connect with your higher power with God, with the universe, with spirit, because that's how we will make a shift, right? The the stigmas around religion and spirituality and all that are not going to go away if we don't take action. So that is my invitation to you for today is to really, you know, lean into how can I show up even more fully in my truth uh, you know, whether it's online, whether that's in, you know, in just in-person connections or in your community, but showing up a little more authentically than you maybe are now in what you believe in. So we then move into Waiting on a Miracle. <laughs> this whole song, I just like, I could cry the whole time. The whole family photo and they're each showing their gift it's like a character photo at Disney, right? It's like they're all posed and they're getting their little photo pass photo taken and poor Mirabelle is standing in the background and something I thought of and I noted was it, no one told her she can't be in this picture, right? And if you think about it, we have the two uncles who don't have magical powers. They're in, they're in the picture, but it's that she really doesn't feel like she belongs. And in a way, to me, it's almost kind of like she is the only one who's really able to see things her way and to be in true authenticity, you know, even questioning things, not just going along with how the family does things. And so it's like, in that sense, she almost doesn't belong with them because she's doing her own thing. And instead of lowering herself, lowering her standards to be where everyone in her family is, she's standing in her truth. And she ends up kind of bringing the whole family along with her to her side instead. Oh, we see Mirabel using open your eyes to Abuela and waiting on a miracle. What a good scene, right? It's like we see her use this line. And again, Lin-Manuel Miranda is just genius, right? Like we see this line being used that was told to her first. And now it's coming back and saying, open your eyes, like notice what's going on, Abuela, be real, right? And in this moment, it's like we see Mirabel standing in her truth that she knows that she's here to show the family something real and new. And there's this moment where I think it's like when they're saying, I'm ready, and we see Mirabel, and it's exactly what she looks like in Bruno's vision that we see later. So it's kind of this foreshadowing. And as she says that line of, am I too late for a miracle, we see the tile start crashing. And as that happens, we see Mirabelle on her knees. And it's just like when Abuela, you know, asked for the miracle and she received it. And so again, this is a miracle. <laughs> and I love this because this is what a lot of miracles look like, at least in my own life. It's it's kind of a tower moment if you are a tarot, a tarot card person, um, right? When we get the tower card, it's like everything is crashing down to make way for the good because it needs to. It's this initiation. And so, she, you know, she it's almost like she manifests it, right? Mirabelle says, am I too late for a miracle? And the house says, oh, you, you asked for a miracle? And the tiles start crashing. And I guess I shouldn't say the house. It's probably a little bit the house, a little bit, you know, God, spirit, universe, whatever it is. 
Um, but she she gets her miracle, right? She gets her chance to save and serve the family and to really make the family proud. And I just love, again, that we see her on her knees just like Abuela. In this moment, what was coming to me as I was watching this episode, I mean, watching the movie to prepare for this episode, is that it's Abuela's fear and judgment that's putting the family at risk. And again, especially in these moments, like I I just think if you have grandma wounds, this is probably going to activate them, which is a good thing because then we can work through them and we can alchemize them and we can learn from them and we can break the chains and, and do things differently. But it's definitely, you know, it can be rough to watch, especially depending on what kind of state of mind you're in. If you can't tell, I am one of those people who is like always crying, whether I'm happy or I'm sad. Uh, So Disney movies definitely get to me very easily in the best way. Uh, So don't be surprised, especially if you're someone who doesn't cry easily. If you're like, what are you talking about that you cry the entire movie? But I I do. I cry a lot of the movie. Um, Something that I noticed, too, is that obviously, you know, butterflies are a big theme throughout this. Um, For those who don't know, right, Dos Orguitas is two caterpillars. And then we see them turn into butterflies. And that's when we hear them saying, uh, you know, I'm Mariposa, right? So butterflies, big theme. Obviously, butterflies represent transformation and not just transformation, but transformation that takes time, transformation that is not pretty until the very end, um, and transformation that takes that cocooning period. And so it almost is like, you know, we see dos orguitas, we see them go from caterpillars until butterflies. And that's, you know, Abuela and Pedro. And then we have the three triplets going through kind of their blossoming phase. But those cocooning phases. And to me, it's almost like until Mirabelle is able to help them get the family get through to that final stage and embrace who they are and, and be butterflies that they have to get through this cocooning phase where they're not really getting it all right. Um, But so anyway, all of that to say that if you notice in the scene um, just after Waiting for a Miracle where we see Mirabelle talking to her mom in the kitchen, that there are butterflies all over the kitchen walls. And again, just like little Disney nods that they do so, so well. It's just the details, details, details. We then see Mirabelle... Knowing something is going on with the candle while everyone's sleeping. And so she goes to check on it and she sees Abuela at the candle. And Abuela's talking to Pedro and kind of pleading with him and saying, you know, help me, Pedro. And she says, if our family only knew how vulnerable we truly are. And, you know, in this moment, it's clear that Abuela is seeing this vulnerability as a weakness. But we know, right, if you're in the spiritual world, that vulnerability is only a weakness if you see it that way. And that it can actually actually really be kind of like a superpower and a strength because not, not everyone is willing to be vulnerable. And when you are, you meet people on such a different level. You know, it's like you really meet them on soul level. And in this moment, Abuela manifests this whole thing. She manifests Mirabel's actions because she's literally asking Pedro to open her eyes and to help her save the miracle. She's like, tell me what to do. Show me. Open my eyes and help me save the miracle. And so again, the universe delivers and says, okay, perfect. You've asked us to save the miracle. Sending Mirabel to save the miracle. Right. Um, interesting, too, how we then see Dolores saying that the rats are talking in the walls. And that they're worried about the magic because they're with Bruno. <laughs> and, you know, there's a lot online about, I know I said this about Dolores, of whether she is kind of a villain because she knows that Bruno's in the walls. But again, Bruno ostracized himself, right? He ran away after the vision with Mirabelle. And I, to me, I really see Dolores as this she just has so much that she is having to hold. I think she's really a mysterious character. It's very interesting. Um, but yeah, interesting that it's like the rats are worried about the magic because they know what's going on. They're with Bruno, right? Um, 
So we then get into surface pressure, which to me, I know I said this, it's like just this beautiful ode to the anxious and to the women who take on too much. I know like the first time I saw that, I totally cried. (laughs) Um, I think I saw it before I actually saw the movie. I watched the music video of surface pressure because I had been hearing the sound, right? The drip, drip, drip and all of that that were so big on TikTok and Instagram for a while when it first came out. I remember I had heard it and I was like, all right, I got to see what this is. Like, what is this thing? And I watched the video and I was just like bawling. A, because as someone who has definitely struggled with anxiety, especially the last, I would say a little less than 10 years, my anxiety has been bad, (laughs) especially as a therapist, just being exposed to so much secondary trauma. Um, But also for so many Disney fans, who had never seen a character who looked like them before in a movie or who they could really truly identify with. Louisa has a very specific look that I think, again, I've done some research and and it doesn't seem like a lot of people are talking about this, but I think it had to have been intentional in Disney's part that they wanted to create a character that if you don't necessarily identify as a super feminine woman or girl, or if you're maybe gender non-binary or gender neutral and you can't really say that to your family or maybe you identify as a lesbian but that would never fly with your family there I think there's a lot here and again that's not to say that Louisa couldn't also be a heterosexual cisgender very feminine woman who knows Um, but I think it it's open enough that I think a lot of people can probably see themselves and Louisa. And so to me, that was absolutely beautiful when I first saw this. And there's just some, li- I mean, there's so many lines in this song that just like are gut wrenchers. But to me, the main one that stuck out was, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. Like, hoof. <laughs> Anyone who works in a service-based job, therapists, nurses, teachers, social workers, coaches, mentors, doctors, police officers, firefighters, like there's just so many that can probably really relate to. I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. I also think they do such a good job here with the visuals, like really adding to that feeling of pressure and anxiety And they do it in a way that still feels lighthearted enough that you don't leave this feeling overwhelmed or anything or reminded of your own anxiety. Um, But, oh, I just think this whole, this whole scene, this whole song is just so well done. Um, And then, you know, her face at the end when the rocks start falling, it's like she knows she can't handle it and she's going to do it anyway. And then... The rocks become the casita. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> it was too much. It was too much. Ugh. And then, of course, how do we come back from that? How would we other than Mirabel giving her like this huge hug and just bringing the humanness back and really grounding, right? It's like she's grounding her and bringing her back. And you can see that like Louisa's out of breath. She can barely even breathe. And Mirabel just like just hugs her and brings her back. And interesting to note, to note, too, is that this is kind of like the first of two important and symbolic sisterly embraces, because this is the first time that Mirabel is no longer alone in her recognition that the way things that are going on the family right now are not going well, right? Even though Luis is not outright saying, like, I can't do this anymore, and I, now we need to figure out a way for me to not have this pressure on me. She just sang a whole song about how much pressure it is and how she like can't take it. <laughs> so it's like Mirabelle gets that validation. She's not off track. She's not alone. This is real. This is what's, you know, she's she's on track. She knows what she's doing. We then see Mirabelle going into Bruno's tower because Luisa tells her, right, you know, go to Bruno's tower, but be careful because it's dangerous there. And that Casita can't help in Bruno's tower. And, you know, she says, can you turn off the sand? Because <laughs> he's just like, we can't do anything here. And, you know, I immediately thought of the sands of time and how time is relative and how these visions collapse time. And they show the relativity. And they show that nothing is set in stone. 
and that everything is a limitless potential and a possibility and that our actions, each choice that we make leads us down a certain path of actions, right? And this choice leads us to that action and this choice leads us to that action and this consequence and and we take ourselves through that, but it's all through those choices. And I think that those visions really showed that I think what people came to Bruno for his visions for was reassurance, right? People were saying, we're scared of what's happening, Bruno. Can you tell us what's going to happen in the future? And of course, when he would show what's going to happen in the future, it's not set in stone and it's not usually what you want to see, right? If you're going to, anytime we've seen, there have been so many movies, shows, you know, all of it, musicals written about people who can see into the future, right? I'm thinking, you know, that's so Raven and all these things. And every single time, what is true? The visions are not clean cut, right? And a lot of times it's like they'll intentionally make the vision confusing as like a test, right? And it often, I know for me, it definitely often feels like the universe is testing me, but it's in a good way, right? It's letting us notice that in each moment we have a choice and we can either choose the pattern of least resistance, the pattern that we've always done, or choose again and choose something new. And I think that's what Bruno's visions were intended to do. But instead, because everyone was trying to use them for their own good and for what they wanted out of them, it ended up, you know, leading to him ostracizing himself because he couldn't even take it anymore. So Bruno's Tower, I think, is just such an interesting, it's like almost like an Indiana Jones vibe. Um, And I always, I think it's so interesting that there's like that vault, right? It's like that vault door and she gets stuck in there. And we then see the vision broken into pieces and it's this glowing green light. And for my people who are not the big Disney nerds like me and some of my listeners, uh, you may not know, but oftentimes green is famously associated with evil in Disney movies. But usually it's this bright lime green and it's glowy. And this is almost bluish. And it's not our usual evil lime green. And again, if you're not a crazy Disney person, you're probably like, what are you talking about? But now, if you Google it, you will see that most Disney villains at some point have a scene where they have like green glowingness. You know, if you think about in Lion King during Be Prepared, right? There's this like green glowing fire coming up at Scar. Google it. Look it up. I promise I am not making it up. Um, But this is not that. And I think it's intentional that it kind of looks like it, but not exactly, right? Because at this point, we still don't really know about Bruno. And we don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy and, and why he left. We just know that he had these visions and he left and no one talks about him. And so I think this is supposed to trigger a little bit of that, like, oh, he's probably a bad guy with the green, but enough that it'll also make you say, like, but is, is he a bad guy? We're not really so sure. And then obviously, you know, just the craziness of getting up and down Bruno's tower. I mean, it's just, it's, it's jumping through hoop after hoop after hoop for poor Mirabelle. Um, And obviously a lot of it is super unrealistic and she probably would not be able to do it herself or survive, but that is why it's a Disney movie. Um, And then we have, I mean, the creme de la creme of Encanto. We move into, we don't talk about Bruno. And just again, I mean, there's so much that can be said on this song and, for those who I don't know if you followed, but they ended up putting Dos Orguitas up for an Academy Award because they didn't think that we don't talk about Bruno was going to take off the way that it did. Um, but I totally think that we don't talk about Bruno had the staying power to to win that. Um, you know, it just completely blew up on TikTok and on Instagram, and for good reason. It is such a good. It's a vibe. It's such a vibe. So let's just break down some of the lyrics because that's what I do. Uh, we have, you know, what a joyous day. But anyway, about their wedding, this is again that first moment where we're seeing that maybe he knows something. Maybe he also agrees that Peppa's gift is not the worst thing and that her emotions triggering the rain is not a bad thing. 
I know I love the rain, so I would not hate it. Um, and then we have, right, I associate him with the sound of falling sand. It's this, we've just seen that that's exactly what's in his tower. And so later on, we know, we come to find out that Dolores, you know, heard him, knew he was in the tower. He, what is the line? Um, I knew he never left. I heard him every day. Right. But in this moment, we don't know that yet, but we do know the sound or the sand. And, you know, this is kind of like some foreshadowing of, yeah, maybe she knows. <laughs> maybe she knows. And, and she's not just randomly associating him with the sound of falling sand. They say that, you know, he was grappling with things that he couldn't understand. And do you understand? Right. It's like Dolores here feeling for Bruno, but really also having a depth that I think only certain family members have. I think Dolores has it because this, again, this poor girl has been holding so much and having to hear so much that she doesn't want to hear. I think Bruno certainly had that depth because he was ostracized and told that he was bad for his gifts for trying to help. And I think that Mirabel has that depth because she has gone through so much pain of not having a gift. And so it's almost like Dolores is recognizing that with Mirabel and saying kind of like, don't go near this, right? Like, it tore our family apart and it they were grappling with things that they couldn't understand. Like, do you understand? Like, don't go near this. And of course, Mirabelle is like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to go near this. <laughs> um, but really with Bruno, it's like we're seeing that he's the first family member to be, quote unquote, serving the community with his gift, even though he's trying to by not being a part of the family and by not having visions that he separates himself he ostracizes himself to save the family, that he realizes that maybe his gift is not the best way to help the family and that instead the best way to help the family is to hide, which is so sad. Um, and something that I think is so interesting and I need to look more into it because I don't know if there is actually, if someone has said that there's a reason for this or if this is a mistake, but Camillo and Mirabelle are definitely pretty close in age. I know when I looked something online estimated I think that he was 17 or 16 and she's like 15 so they're within two years of age why does Camilo know so much about Bruno and like so confidently can speak about Bruno and Mirabel doesn't know anything when they're so close in age it makes no sense at all we then finally get to meet the infamous Bruno and we're immediately shown these kind of like seemingly obsessive thoughts and compulsions right? Like knock, 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 knock on wood. I think this on some hand might look like superstition to other people might look like, you know, untreated mental health stuff, or maybe like being on the spectrum. There's kind of like a lot that's potential here. Um, and I think some of it could be cultural as well, again, with the superstition, especially. Um, and we see him saying that, you know, well, Hernando patches the cracks because Bruno's too scared to do it, right? So he's like splitting his personality to be able to do what he needs to do, but still maintain the story of who Bruno quote unquote is. Um, oh, and we see his place at the table, which is so sad, right? That he felt he had to leave to keep them all safe, but that he loves them so much and has nowhere else that he would want to be. So he stays there and just literally pretends that he's still part of the family and eats with them. It's so sad. Ugh. Um, and I think it's important to note that he says that the vision that made him leave was one that Abuela forced him to have to find out what was happening to the magic. So it wasn't one that he was maybe even supposed to have, but she kind of made him have it. And basically, he says, you know, the future was undecided in the vision and that it came down to Mirabel and that he knew that what they would all think. So he just left rather than, you know, explain all of it to them or try to explain it to all of them. And so naturally, <laughs> Mirabelle, what does she do? She makes Bruno have a vision, right? Again, she's connected to Abuela, I think, um, very clearly. And Bruno says, you can't hurry the future. And he has all these rituals for having a vision, which it's really kind of like creating sacred space to be able to tap in, which I thought was really cool and cool to see in a Disney movie. And the vision says that she has to hug and embrace her sister <laughs> and that the fate of the family isn't up to 
Isabella that it's up to Mirabel and that she's exactly what the family needs. And then we get What Else Can I Do, which I think is one of the most underrated songs in this movie. Um, I think we see such a cool side of Isabella and right. She's, it's like, she's totally unaware of what she's capable of and that she can even like that. She has the choice to choose whatever she wants and go her own way that she doesn't have to just do exactly what's expected of her. And I love the line, how far do these roots go down? It's like, she's curious and just exploring what she can do. And at first Mirabelle is kind of scared and, and is like, are you sure you want to do this? And then we see her get on board and just be almost like in awe of her sister, which is so cool. And she's like supporting her and they're just having so much fun. And it's like Mirabelle finally gets to see who Isabella really is. And there's these like overlapping lyrics of Isabella saying changing minds and Mirabelle says, you've changed mine. And Mirabelle saying, there's nothing you can't do. I think it's so cool. And for anyone who maybe has a rough relationship with their sister, whether it's gotten better or not. I think this can be a, a kind of cool scene to lean into and look at here. Um, and I think it's just cool how you then see their relationship totally shift after this. And then we go into Dos Orguitas and oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, well, first we have the, you know, the casita coming down and then we go into Dos Orguitas. Um, but I literally in my notes here, I just have, I mean, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) So I read an article or I read somewhere that this is either the first or one of the first songs that Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote in Spanish. I guess usually he would write songs in English and then translate them into Spanish. Whereas this, he like really challenged himself to write it in Spanish and then, you know, translate to English. And it's just, I think it's so beautiful. And I think it just does such a good job of showing such trauma and such tragedy. And again, something that is a big part, unfortunately, of a lot of, um, you know, Latin American culture and a lot of the pain and trauma that so many have gone through. But it's done in such a beautiful way. And in this um, message of transformation and trusting and believing and then getting this beautiful miracle that they can the family can grow from that space and there's the lyric of I was so afraid to lose the miracle that I lost sight of who it was for you know or not the lyric but Abuela saying that to Mirabel right she lost sight of why the miracle even mattered and when the casita comes down we again see Abuela on her knees Right. And so this is, again, that moment of it's a tough moment, but it's actually going to be a pivotal moment and a big part of the miracle. And then we get Bruno's entrance back into the family, which I feel is everything that we could expect and then some. And (laughs) um, we then move into one of my favorite songs, if not my favorite song. So all of me, I think this song is just perfect. And we have Abuela, right? The miracle's not. The magic you've got. The miracle's you. There's just so many good lines in this song. And it's just so so touching and so beautiful. And Bruno gets to finally say his piece. And, you know, he's talking about Peppa's wedding and how he was really just trying to show her that it's okay if it rains. It's going to rain, you know? Like, you're going to be emotional. And we find again out that Dolores knew that Bruno was in the walls. And we finally see the family working with the community to rebuild and letting them help. And it's kind of this cool moment where we realize that you don't need these supposed magical powers to be able to contribute and be a part of things. And then we have, because again, right, we, in her transformation, Isabella realized that she does not want to marry Mariano and we see, you know, Mariano, why so blue? And we have this beautiful moment between Mariano and Dolores that feels so reminiscent of Angelica Schuyler, you know, with the, you write your own poetry and all that. And then we have Dolores, I see you and I hear you. And that's just this like deep recognition of each other, which is so good. It's just so good. It's so Disney and it's so Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's such a cool crossover. Um, And then, oh, of course, Antonio with we need a doorknob and we made this one for you. Like, ooh, literally gets me every time. And 
Bruno with you're the real gift kid let us in and then abuela with abre los ojos what do you see and we have Mirabelle say I see me all of me it's just so good it's so good it's I think it's just like tying so much of what we've seen throughout the movie together and how Mirabelle has been that contributing factor that has brought everyone together in the family and helped them to realize like what really matters and then we have our final song, Colombia Me Encanto again, but we see the family really embracing themselves and not having to use their gifts to serve, right? We see Luisa and she's relaxing with a drink. She's in like a hammock and we see Isabella and she's colorful and she's creating these cacti and Peppa's dancing while she's hailing and it's just, it's so good. It's such a good ending and I really think that again, the, the story that's woven through all of this is that we each have unique gifts, whether we and other people can see them or not. And that the collective is stronger when we embrace our gifts and when we be ourselves. And I really think that this is how we're going to usher in this new paradigm and we're going to spread love and start a revolution and really change the way that the world is so that we all love our lives. <laughs> And we don't feel like we're living for other people, right? Because we're just getting to follow what feels good for us, follow our desires, and make that what our life is all about. So my final thoughts to send with you on this is, look, it, it can take a lot of patience and resilience to choose yourself for the community, even when you know that others won't get it or that they'll think you're being selfish for choosing yourself. And so stay in it trust your inner voice especially if it gives you an idea that really feels like you but also kind of scares you because those are the best ones and just remember that sometimes the most unexpected and sometimes the most challenging things are exactly what you need so trust it so until next time I'm Kitty Pacman. Thank you so much for joining. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a review. Make sure you go follow us. We are spiritually underscore ever after on Instagram and spiritually ever after on TikTok. We'll see you real soon. Thank you for being here and listening. If you loved it, leave a review and or share and tag me. I would love to connect with you. I'm spiritually underscore ever after on Instagram and spiritually ever after on TikTok. See you real soon.